The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Frustrating start to the season. Jürgen questioning the attitude at Craven Cottage and midfield injuries now a big concern. But Nunes, the big positive in the draw. Should he start against Palace? That plus James's exclusive chat with Pep Linders about his new book, Intensity, on why Portugal has been such a great feeding ground for players. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, make sure that you do get to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod because you can read all the articles on the Reds and everything else on the site. And right now there's a special price of a pound a month for six months. So head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Pound a month for six months. I'm Steve Hothersall with The Red Agenda. Joining me today, James Pearce and uh, Simon Hughes. And it wasn't the day one to the season that Liverpool fans were predicting or hoping for. Uh, James, you were there. It was it was a bit of a flat one, really. Yeah, I, it was. It certainly wasn't the opening day. I travelled down to London expecting to to witness, you know, after the heights that Liverpool reached in the Community Shield and the intensity and the quality of that performance against Manchester City. I think, like most people, you, I expected Liverpool to just have far too much. For Marco Silva's team on the day, but it it was certainly very very different. I think um, you you have to give Fulham credit. I think it's too easy sometimes to just to kind of pile it all on you know on the the kind of inadequacies of the other team because I thought I thought Fulham were were exceptional, but they were given a huge helping hand by yeah just about as error strewn a performance as I can remember in terms of when you think of the consistency Liverpool delivered certainly throughout last season. I, th- I thought they just looked genuinely shocked by Fulham's approach, as if they weren't ready for it, they weren't expecting it. You know, Fulham got in their faces and, and hassled them and forced mistakes. But Liverpool were just abject in every single department. And, you know, the fact that Klopp felt the need to question the attitude afterwards, I think, just underlined just how bad they were, because I can't remember the last time he felt the need to do that, I think there probably was an element of complacency in ju- in just thinking, well, we will just be too good for these. You know, as Klopp said himself, from what well, I think, what did he describe it as a rubbish game? And the only good thing to say was that Liverpool got a point from it because um, you know, you, I think you'd be pre- hard pressed to say they actually deserve that. Really, it certainly didn't deserve anything more. And you know, thankfully, the substitution second half salvaged something from it. Yeah, really, really disappointing start. I mean, he'd obviously hope, side that when the players hear him question their attitude, that it hurts them. It's it's quite a severe criticism on the very first day. Yeah, I think he's right too. I'm glad that he did because I, I I thought the attitude was poor. It just seemed like from the first couple of minutes, really, that you know they were there and sun was shining, and they thought they'd just easily sort of pass Fulham off the park and became very. Evident very quickly that uh, that wasn't going to be the case. That Fulham had, were very highly motivated, uh, as they always are as well. At Craven Cottage. I mean, that shouldn't have really been a surprise because last couple of seasons when Liverpool have, have played at Craven Cottage, they've had a tough game. I think obviously they, I think they drew their last time two seasons ago, and then before that they managed to get away with a victory. 
a similar performance really where they, they just couldn't get any rhythm into the game and I, I thought the attitude did seem poor to me that there didn't seem to be much of a response or people on the pitch willing to, to sort of try and get a grip of what was going on it wasn't really until James Milner came on I thought Liverpool actually looked like a football team that knew what it was doing only two players really I, th- I think came out of the game with any amount of credit in terms of the performance being something like it would normally be and that was obviously James Milner I thought Joel Matic was okay as well he, he, he intercepted quite a few testing passes and, and, and tried to join in in sort of attacking areas to get the team going but really really flat and yeah, it was a really shit performance, I thought. Um, not very often you hear Jurgen Klopp question the team's attitudes. It's got to come from him as well, of course. I mean, it, if he's not set the team up properly and they're not they're not going into the game with the right frame of mind, it, obviously the manager's got to take some responsibility for that. He spent quite a lot of pre-season telling people, you know, that they're, you know, they're very motivated to put the wrongs of last season right. They're not going to do that if they perform like that too many more times over the course of the next few months. I don't think you blame one area for the, for the whole match, do you? But Liverpool's midfield in particular did struggle, didn't it? And after after an hour, James, it was completely reshuffled and the injury to Thiago didn't help at all. You, you've written now about this injury list that Liverpool have got in midfield and the question marks around whether they've got enough in the short term. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, first of all, it is right to say that I don't think there was a single area of the team that that functioned anywhere near the, the level that you would you expect. It was you know, every, you know everyone was was below par, but it was um, the midfield especially. I thought was a was a big problem first half because that that's the area of the pitch where you look for control, you look for composure. You know, especially when an opponent comes at you like Fulham did, and there was none of that. I clocked it up at half time using the optostats, and I think that midfield three of of Fabino, Henderson, and Thiago gave the ball away twenty-two times between them in that first half, and you know we're talking about a midfield three there that is still undoubtedly Liverpool's strongest combination in midfield. You know, help Liverpool get ninety-two points, help them win both domestic cups, and they would have won the Champions League, but for an inspired performance from Courtois in, in Paris. So you know you can't go overboard, but it was it was just a bit alarming to see individually and collectively them fall so short and yeah that that was a problem and you know it, I think obviously the Tiago change was enforced with you know when he pulled up clutching the back of his left hamstring you know was we're still waiting for the exact results of the the scan which should give us some kind of time frame on that but certainly speaking to people at Craven Cottage you know an hour or so after the game at the weekend you know that certainly wasn't positive in terms of the the initial diagnosis on on that front, and then you know Fabino, I was struggling to think of the last time he performed, you know, anywhere near like that because you know, you're talking about one of the best holding midfielders in in European football. Yet you know he's hauled off before the hour mark for James Milner, um, who, as Simon said, you know he he gave Liverpool something that they didn't have previously in terms of that controlled aggression and helped them get a grip of things in there. And I thought Harvey Elliott did brilliantly when he came on as well. I don't think it was any great surprise that suddenly Mo Salah came alive because Elliott just, you know, he was inventive, he was creative, he, he moved the ball quickly, obviously played a big part in the in the first goal as well with the ball for Salah. So, um, yeah, the, the changes in midfield were, were urgently needed. 
And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the club do now because, you know, the stance has been no um, were done in terms of incomings for the summer. But, you know, when you look at that second half, you know, to come from behind twice, they did so there with without four of their eight senior midfielders with, of course, you know, having already lost Oxley chamberlain and Curtis Jones, you know, Naby Keita, ill, and then to lose Thiago, it is, a, it is an area of concern. Yeah, the Thiago situation. I mean, we all love watching him, Si. He's, he's incredible at his best, isn't he? But all the time you've got that sort of shadow hanging over that you think he's just prone to an injury. And it's generally not an injury. I mean, we don't know in this situation, but it's generally not an injury that he comes back quickly from. Yeah, it's, it's very frustrating, I'd say. I know Kiva has been working on a piece. She was writing about how, um, you know, the amount of minutes that he, that he plays on average, you know, for... For Liverpool, and I think last season, on average, it was it was an hour before he he get the hook really. So it's definitely worth reading that piece. And obviously, that piece went up ahead of the start of the season. You know, basically questioning can can Liverpool uh, sort of rely on him to, to some degree? Asking that question and very frustrating. The first game of the season hobbles off with some sort of I think it was a muscular injury. I mean, I, I love watching him play. He's a brilliant footballer. Sees things that other players don't see, but. I think it is fair to question is is he set up for a Klopp team not just the Premier League team but a Klopp team in terms of the, the physical expectation on what you have to do I'd be interested to see how he would perform differently if if it was in a midfield where which which has suited him over a longer period of time when he was at Bayern Munich it was a 4-2-3-1 rather than a 4-3-3 which meant a lot of his work was further back the pitch Moving into space, he has to play up a lot higher in a four-three-three, and I wonder to what extent that would change the rhythm of his game and and how how his body reacts to the demands around him. But yeah, I just sort of think if you've got a player who is the most creative, one of the more creative players in your team, you need to be able to sort of rely on him probably more than in other positions to some degree. I mean, Liverpool, I must say, actually got better after he went off as well, despite the, the blow of him being injured. But it seems to be the same question every year, doesn't Steve? And James sort of touched on it there. It's, it's often the, the games get in the way of the grand plans of Liverpool. You know, like we've had it two seasons ago where the club certainly saying, well, we're not going to sign anybody in January. And then the situation gets worse and it gets worse. You know, unfortunately, I think that the, the football often gets in the way of the best ideas. And I know Liverpool have been praised over a long period of time for, for sticking to the guns and getting it right. But you do question where Liverpool would have ended up in, in the 2020-21 the season had they been a little bit more ahead of what was going on. And, you know, they've got four senior midfielders out at the moment. I mean, that, that's a big number of players in an area of the pitch where you can't really afford to um, to carry a lot of injuries. I would say because of the physical demands on the players. So the club have been very clear, aren't they, saying that they, that they don't envisage any more transfer activity this summer. I do wonder whether that's, you know, that was said a bit too soon because soon enough you're going to have Champions League games starting, more League Cup games. It's a really important position in, in, in Klopp's team in terms of the expectations in that area. So, yeah, it just depends whether they can bring forward plans that they had or whether the prepared to think a little bit differently. I suspect that they'll stick to the guns as they tend to do, unless suddenly you have one or two more injuries to you know, to players like Henderson, Fabinho. Liverpool certainly can't afford for that to happen. 
That piece on Thiago's stats by uh, Kiva and Mark Carey uh, is on The Athletic. Now, Thiago, vital to Liverpool, but history suggests he'll miss plenty of games for them. And also, obviously, James's piece from the weekend, latest Thiago injury heaps pressure on Liverpool's midfield. I mean, one of the big questions is, is there the level of quality if he's not there? So that that raises the, the idea of should they bring people in? Curtis Jones is injured, the Ox. Is there the quality in backup? to convince you that Liverpool can go the full season. Jordan Henderson played more minutes than anyone else in the midfield last season, James. Will that be the case again? Well, well you know, the, the worry for me isn't so much the quality, it's it's the durability that's the, the thing because you know, Jurgen Klopp said it on Friday and he said it again after the game at Craven Cottage. He said, you know, we've got eight senior midfielders. You know, he said that is that is enough. But it, and So, you know, in, in a way he's right in terms of when you look at the skill set of those different players. But I think where on the one hand, yeah, Liverpool have been very unfortunate to lose, you know, so many players in a short period of time who play in the same position. It's it's not a massive shock, is it? Because you you know, you look at the amount of football that Naby Cater has missed, you look at, you know, Oxlade as well, you look at Thiago, I think, you know, Thiago played in twenty five out of thirty eight league games last season. I think it was twenty four the year before. And I think that was always the concern that there's you know, I, I don't have an issue whatsoever with. I know people. You know, there's a knee-jerk reaction to the weekend, and and people are obviously are massively critical. But you know, the mid the midfield three of Fabino, Henderson, Thiago for me is there's a lovely balance there. But you know, the problem is, as we said, Thiago misses too much football. Jordan Henderson, what is he? You know, thirty-two. It, you know, he was. You know, he he played more more games last season than at any other point in his Liverpool career, but. It's a big ask to expect him to to clock up those kind of minutes again and again. You know, Milner deserves massive praise for his you know praise for the impact he made off the bench on Saturday. But you know how how often can he keep on doing it? You know, you can't just you know I know he's a machine, but we're talking about someone who turns thirty seven in January. Um, and then of course at the other end of the spectrum you've got Harvey Elliott, who you know probably if Klopp sticks with four three three. You'd think he must have a great chance of starting against Crystal Palace next Monday night in place of Thiago. And yeah, we all hope Harvey Elliott will flourish and have a, a fantastic season. He certainly the signs are promising after preseason, but it's a it's a big ask again to expect him to keep doing it game after game, week after week, when he's still he's still relatively new to that role as well. You know, he was a he played most of his youth football obviously as a winger, and Klopp has been trying to move him into a, a more of a right-sided central midfield role. So, And then Curtis Jones, you mentioned him, obviously, when he comes back. But, you know, I think there's a question mark there in terms of what exactly you're going to get from him because, you know, you know consistency is an issue there. So um, I, I do understand the debate. I mean, obviously, context is important. You know, fans always want more, don't they, in the transfer market. But, you know, the idea that Liverpool can just wait till 2023 when we know, obviously, that they will definitely be firmly in the mix for Jude Bellingham, I'm just not sure that they can do that. I don't. I'm, I'm, I just. I think also you could make a strong case for they almost need to bring in one now, and then they would still need Jude Bellingham next summer. I don't think those plans would be affected because come next summer, Oxlade will be a free agent. You think you know, really? Will James Milner have another year in him? Probably not. So there's two midfielders gone. And you've got Naby Keita at the moment. You know, Liverpool are in talks with him over an extension. But if he doesn't agree new terms, then he'll be a free agent as well. So, um, 
yeah, it's, you know, it's obviously easier said than done because you've still got to find someone with the right skill set who um, is available at an acceptable price. But I, I think you know it, it's something that does need to be addressed now. Chris Salah, it's a nice layoff to find it from Harvey Elliott. Played into the middle and this time he does get it in. Welcome to the Premier League for Darwin Nunez. Liverpool's brand new 27 is off and running in the Premier League. Right, let's go from there to uh, to Nunez. I think that was the one big shining light of the day, wasn't it, at Craven Cottage, sign? Have we, I know it's early doors, but have we got a new goal-scoring sensation? I think, you know... You talk to a lot of Liverpool fans, they're saying this guy's going to score bucket loads for us. He's got the desire, the enthusiasm. All right, there's bits of his game that need working on, but have we already seen glimpses of something that's just going to grow and grow for Liverpool? Well, what I liked the most about him actually was was how lucky he was on the pitch as well. I mean, he gets lucky with his goal and then gets pretty lucky with his assist as well, doesn't he? Um, so it's always a good sign, I think, if you you know your big expensive striker starts off lucky I remember when Luis Suarez signed for Liverpool and a bit fortunate with his his debut goal and from there obviously took a bit of time for him to sort of become the goal scorer that he he did become but you just sort of knew didn't you that that he was going to become a good player for the club similar sort of feeling I guess with with Nunes possibly because the the same nationality but totally different players as soon as he came on, he just gave Fulham more to think about. I mean, I, th- I do think Liverpool's second half performance was was better. They offered more going forward. They offered they offered a bit more intensity in the way that they played. And as James says, Harvey Elliott allowed both Salah and Trent to have a bit more joy down that right hand side of the pitch. It sort of felt like Liverpool's best play was was in that area. And having Nunes there gives Liverpool a bit more focus bit more of a focus in the box. Um, obviously not afraid to, to try some you know outrageous things as well. And it's from that sort of courage that he gets the bit of luck that he probably deserves. You know, obviously the, the opening goal comes off a defender and then sort of flicks him on the heel. I think I'm right in saying as before going in and looks very impressive until you sort of see the, the close replay of it. But yeah, I just think, you know, there's still a fair distance to go, obviously. I mean, he's still... Need certain parts of his game sharpening up, I'd say. I think Klopp said a few weeks ago that the players still need to get used to his runs. Very different sort of player to to both uh, Firmino and, and and Mane, who who played up through the middle, and Jota as well. You know, he's a player who I think likes to get in behind the defence and likes to put pressure on on the the player who's marking him or the back the back the two centre halves and get close to the defenders. Whereas you'd say, you know, Mane wasn't a centre-forwards by trade, I suppose. Sorry for that expression, Adam Hurry. And then you've got, um, obviously, Firmino, who a lot of his best work sort of outside the box, and Jota, whose best work really is inside the box and being in the right positions. Nunes is more of a mobile striker, I think, who will will move and drag defenders into different areas. So, so yeah, promising signs, Steve. Promising signs. I mean, I, I, I would expect... That he he should should be starting at the first the, the next league game at home, given that he scored two goals as a substitute. I think you know he probably merit that. I just wonder whether Klopp might think, well, you know, Firmino can't really play any worse <laughs> than he than he did against Fulham. So you don't want to just sort of strip him of it, you know of any confidence that he 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 might need. And because you know, I think he's like any other player. For me, you know, he's, I think when he's when he's confident, he he feels like he can express himself a bit more and 
Uh, I think Liverpool are going to need him this season. So it's going to be interesting to see how he manages that. But if I was Nunes, having scored two goals uh first two games and you don't play, you don't start the game when Liverpool play Palace uh, next Monday, you'd be pretty disappointed. Yeah, and, and let's face it, James, every fan that's going to Anfield next Monday, that's the player they want to see. You know, that's the... All right, the rest of them are brilliant, but all of a sudden you've got this new appetite, haven't you, to see how well he can do. Yeah, I... I'd be absolutely amazed if he doesn't start against Palace. I, I just think with with the impact he's made, you know, in, in those two games, the community shield and then coming on like he did at Fulham and just giving Liverpool a dimension that just hadn't exist previously and un- unlocking other players as well gives them the option of going more direct at times. So I think the, the easing him in gently probably stops here. Especially with the fact that you know, there's this, you know, nine day gap between Fulham away and, and Palace at home. More precious time on the training ground, getting to grips with exactly what Klopp wants from him tactically. So, yeah, I think it was it was a shame for Firmino because, you know, there'd been a lot of talk, you know, going back to when I was on the tour in Asia, you speak to people around the squad and they were all buzzing about how good Firmino had looked since he'd come back and saying that, you know, you know, any time you asked about Jota or about Diaz or about Nunes, it, you know, Players would say, "Well, no, don't forget Firmino. You know, you know, he's 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 been great. You know, he, you know, new lease of life after the injury issues of last season, but it just didn't happen for him on the weekend. And I don't see him being in from the off against Palace. I wonder whether he might even think about a change of formation with with the injuries. You know, in in midfield, you think if, as expected, there is no Thiago, then you know he could stick with four three three and play the Cater or Harvey Elliott, but." You know, I think when when he when he signed Nunes, a lot of the talk was about it would give him more flexibility formation wise. So, so you know maybe maybe we'll think about a four two three one. You know, and you could have you could have Diaz on one side, Salah on the other, and Fabio Cavallio. I wouldn't or, or Firmino, one of those two playing just behind Nunes. So um, so yeah, I think um, yeah, it, it's just been great. That that was that was the the biggest thing to come of the weekend. The fact that I think. When you sign someone like Nunes for that amount of money and the pressure and expectation that comes with it, that you know you just want to see him get off to a, a flying start, knowing what kind of belief he'll take from that. And um, yeah, thankfully that's exactly what he's done. Obviously, Jota's injured at the moment, but in the past week we've seen him sign a new contract. So virtually all of them, the front line tied down now. Sai, bar Bobby Firmino. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any concerns about Liverpool top end of the pitch not for the next few years really I think they're well stocked obviously Firmino's contract uh, is, is up next summer I think if he has a good season and he contributes and shows that he's still got the legs in him to, to perform for a club team they'll be offering him a new contract I'm sure they will if he, you're not gonna you know sort of just get rid of a striker for nothing if, he, if he's actually still contributing. I think the only question mark around him really is is he's obviously played as a number nine for Liverpool for a long period of time now. He's been the main centre forward really for five, six years. Um, obviously, he sort of stepped back a bit last year. And that, you know, any centre forward I think will tell you, no matter what sort of centre forward you are, that, that, that there's a certain amount of buffeting that you get throughout that process. It's a very physically demanding position. But I'm sure that if Klopp gets what he wants out of him this season, 
You know, Pavan is is his wage expectations aren't too outrageous. I'm sure that they'd be looking to keep hold of him. But a lot depends on performance, availability, bit of luck as well. I think he'll have to contribute more than he did last season for me, you know, to stick around. But he it sounds like he's he's pretty popular around Europe as well. Quite a few clubs have been linked with him in in the in the press. I don't know how how accurate they are, I'll be honest. But yeah, he's a he's a player who who sort of I think we, we all sort of talk about players who symbolise what Klopp's about. You know, in the past, more more recently, we've spoken about Mane being that player because he was the first signing. But I'd, I'd say Firmino, more than anyone, really, sort of is a symbol of the Klopp team because of his work rate, because of his tactical understanding, his appreciation of what Klopp wanted. I think that Jota probably needs a bit more of that in his game to sort of really maybe establish himself as, as a the automatic, you know, first choice striker uh, or, or in that front three because at the moment I mean he's, he's been pretty prolific for Liverpool in terms of the goals that he scored but the question mark I think relates to the other things that he offers in, you know in terms of with teammates and around the pitch so yeah it's not a position that I'm concerned about at all the attacking areas it's just it's just the midfield isn't it as we said before, I think I think it's the, the the famous Mike Tyson line, isn't it? That everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Um, <laughs> I think Liverpool haven't quite learned from that that over the years. I think it's still the one thing where it opens up this endless discussion of should FSG, you know, loosen the piercing? Should they get the money out? Yeah, I think it's something that they probably need to think about. If it gets any worse from here, you can't you can't go into a season at the start with this many injuries. I think. It's another Ben Davis situation, is it? Yeah, yeah. It turned out to be a great signing, didn't it, Steve? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Put it this way, Steve. He played he played as many minutes for Liverpool as me, you and James have collectively. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and I'm back with some good news. I'll be hosting the Athletic Football Podcast four times a week. I'll be joined by the likes of Adam Crafton, David Ornstein, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, Matt Slater and plenty more of The Athletic's brilliant journalists. And together we'll bring you the best insight into the biggest football stories. So that's every single week, Monday to Thursday. And if you like what we do, then please follow and subscribe to The Athletic Football Podcast in all the usual places. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
Now, James has been speaking with uh, Pep Linders, Jürgen's right-hand man, at the launch of his book, uh, Intensity. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit now. He began by discussing Liverpool-Portugal, so that connection between uh, Liverpool Football Club and the players that they've drawn from the, uh, the Portuguese league, which has been pretty successful for them. So the arrival of Darwin Nunes this summer and Luis Diaz in January. One, it's a big compliment to the Portuguese league because they produce players who always influence the new club they go. So the best ones do. Two, is that the teams we play against, so in this case it was Porto and Benfica, makes it much easier for us to value or to see the qualities of players. We played against Porto, so we know Luis Diaz. So, of course, we follow the competitions, but the quality of this club is the alignment between sporting director and manager. Is the alignment between owners and manager and that makes us strong that we decide when we all think the same and that's what I like a lot about us because our signings have to be right we don't have the capacity nor the will to do 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 we want yeah. to be right and uh, especially if you want to improve the game in a certain way you need to be right with the type of signing you you go for yeah. yeah. Would you and Vittel, would you sit down and watch Portuguese games together? We watch Porto. Do you watch Porto? Yeah. You're both kind of Porto yeah. fans, really. And, and you know, with, with Lewis, do you think, because in the book you said, you know, he's the one, we're convinced about it. What, yeah. what made you so convinced? Was it his individual talent? Was it the, the similarities between how Porto and Liverpool play? Or was it a combination? It's a combination of a lot of things. One is that uh, we knew the background of him because we follow Porto a lot. So, uh, we knew where he comes from, how he came into the team of Porto, when he didn't play and when he came in. The smile, the class, the never give up mentality, always being available, the will to defend forward, the will to press, the will to chase from one post to the other post. <laughs> mm. So a lot of things we liked, and, uh, but a lot of people liked. So it's, it's, uh, I was so happy. I was so happy that they did because we really wanted him and we really wanted him in January. Yeah. But in the end it was difficult, blah, blah, blah. And the moment we felt that when Tottenham went in and this fact that we go, I was the most, the most happy person in the, in the world. I bought the most expensive red wine after <laughs> that call. <laughs> and was that like a FaceTime call with a FaceTime, few of you yeah. on? Like, no, Jürgen, me, Julian, it's, it's in there. Yeah, yeah, Jürgen, yeah. me, Julian, himself. And the agent, yeah. Do you think with you and Vittel, with your knowledge of Portuguese football, do you think that helps being so convinced about players like Diaz and Nunes? Yeah, but, but it's not only uh, about us being convinced. The club has, what I said, the alignment between all of us, mm. that has to be right. And uh, of course, when I get enthusiastic, or Vito or Jürgen, or Julian, or if any one of us get like real enthusiastic player, we think twice because it means something. We don't have that a lot with a lot of players because it has to fit into our character of the team. Uh, so, uh, But when we have that, we have this will yeah, to bring him in. Yeah. And, and we know how important the character and the mentality of a player is because I think when we've talked before you said you know there's almost like there's no egos in this dressing room mm -hmm. so with, with Diaz and again with Nunes would you have spoken to lots of people back in Portugal have worked with them previously would that be something you'd do or would yeah. that be someone else's problem yeah yeah but a big compliment to Porto no? when they lost Luis Diaz and they still became champion mm. that's insane um, Darwin we will forgive him that he was at Benfica but Benfica brought him <laughs> to us so we're happy with Benfica <laughs> But not only these two, I'm really, we're really happy with Fabio. He's one 
who we really wanted and needed as well, we think for, the, for now and for the future. We're really happy with Ibu in the same way. And uh, we're really happy with Jot, for example. So I think our club uh, understands really well this, uh, this process, adding players in the style of what we want and what we need. And obviously Darwin, for so long, you've almost played with like a, a false nine. Now you've yeah. got a proper number nine yeah. with Darwin. How, how do you think that will change the dynamic this season? Well, already Jota was as a nine was much more, much more asking between them. But Bobby as well. But yeah, I know it, but I, I totally agree. Uh, the good thing about our game is that we all go in the same direction. If that's through the outside or through the inside, that doesn't matter. We want to get in front of the goalkeeper. So, And Darwin is one who in one game can create four chances. Uh, on, no, in the last game in 30 minutes, four chances by, by himself. Yeah, it's just, um, but everybody can see that, so I don't need to add anything to that. It's just we're really happy that these guys choose us, that we wanted them, and that we got them. Yeah. Was because obviously talking the book about Diaz was like, I only want Liverpool. This is where yeah. I want to be, and, and obviously there's a nice bit where Julian shows him the yeah. trophies. What, what was it like with Darwin? Was that with Darwin the same in yeah, terms of we, desire to come? Yeah. So yeah. Unbelievable talk we had. It was really special. Uh, on that moment, we knew that uh, he would be the right fit. Uh, you need to look somebody in the eyes, no? And uh, explain our way. And uh, I like it when you see fire in the eyes with people. Yeah. And, and obviously, we talked before about Porter, the similarities with Porter and Liverpool. Is it more of a challenge for, for Darwin, do you think, from, from Benfica to Liverpool? Or, or are there still similarities in terms of what you were asking from him? No, Luis was the best player in the Portuguese league. <laughs> so we got him. Yeah. We, he left the Portuguese league. Darwin was the best player of the Portuguese league. <laughs> we got him. So he will be fine. And what about in terms of, you, you talk about wanting to stay in unpredictable in the book. Do you think, do you see Darwin as a big part of that? Because it's mm -hmm. a different type of attacker. Maybe be able yeah. to ask different questions that maybe you, you couldn't ask of teams last season. Yeah, in certain moments we ask, with shots, I always said, uh, yeah. if you see the amount of times he got in front of the goalkeeper, Darwin has this uh, characteristic to attack through the inside with a lot of power, with a lot of willpower. Um, so, of course, but th that's always when, when with signings is that they have to add something what we don't have or something where we really, uh, really can improve. And, um, yeah, in the, in the football, it's always like this. You have to score more goals than the opposition. <laughs> you have to concede less than them. Um, but what we want from Darwin, and it's the most important, is, not, is that he fights, that he that he presses, that he that he connects well with the others, and then ev everything rest will, will will come. And in terms of Darwin, when was when did you first think he would be when perfect we, for Liverpool? When we played them. Was it, it, was not, it wasn't before that, it was that night. Is no, that, does that come no. back to what you said about... So, to be honest, we, we knew him from Amaria. Yeah. So we knew him. Vito was a fan already. He liked him. Yeah. He made the transfer, big transfer to Benfica. And then we played them. And then, uh, okay, that's somebody we have to keep an eye on. Uh, what I said, our sporting director, our manager, coaching staff, owner, owner, all with the same idea. Go. So Pep Linder's there. Uh, you had an exclusive chat with him, James. Interesting that a, an assistant manager writes a book, to be honest, but quite a revealing book um, as well. He's a, he's a fab character. Yeah, he, he really is, yeah. I always I always think whenever you spend time in his company, it makes you think, I'd, I'd like to think that I, I love my football and it, and it occupies a lot of my life, but then you spend time with Pep and you think, He's on a whole different planet in terms of just the 
the the the, the infectious enthusiasm that he's got. I don't think I don't think I've ever met anyone with greater job satisfaction, I think, than he has in terms of absolutely loving what he does seemingly every every minute of of every day and it, it really does shine through in the book. I think it, it is interesting the fact Liverpool gave him the green light to do it. You know, Klopp does talk about in the foreword about, you know, some people might raise eyebrows at the fact that that this book was coming out, but um, and then Pep goes on to talk about how you know it's not a case of giving away secrets because he says you know we're we're constantly evolving and I think one of the quotes is you know that the Liverpool of last season certainly won't be the the Liverpool of this season. We just hope it's not the Liverpool that we saw at Craven Cottage on on Saturday. Obviously, going forward because um, <laughs> because of what we talked about earlier, but yeah, he's. Um, he is he is great company, and it, I, I just I thought it was interesting, really, the the increasing links with Portugal and and the league over there, because you know until until Diaz in the back end of January, Liverpool hadn't signed a player from the Portuguese league during Klopp's reign, and then you know suddenly I think what two of the top bit top five biggest deals in the club's history now are from are from that country in terms of what was it fifty million quid for Diaz and potentially eighty five million. For Nunes and Vitor Matos and Pep Linders obviously work together at Porto. You know, they, they watch a huge amount of the Portuguese league and, you know, they, they played a, you know, a big part in the, the scouting that went into um, to, to doing those two deals. And also the other stuff around the fringes in terms of speaking to people who knew the players as characters and personalities and, and getting assurances on, on that front. So, yeah, he was, he was interesting talking about he's almost acts as an interpreter, I think, at the minute as well, between Klopp and and Nunes. Um, talked about, you know, the first chat they had with Nunes in terms of, I think he described it as seeing fire in his eyes that, that made them absolutely convinced that Nunes was the one uh, for them in terms of, you know, when they were obviously looking for another attacker with Sadio Mane's exit imminent. So um, it's a really good book. You know, it's basically a diary of last season with all the, the various ups and downs and some some decent tales uh, along the way. So um, yeah, I know it's flying high in the Amazon charts at the moment, and I I, I, I expect that to continue because it is. Uh, it, you know, I think it it's something that a lot of Liverpool fans will enjoy. Yeah, the forward was done by Jurgen, who, who described Pep as obsessed and and studious. And actually, it's not like that long ago, Sai, is it? That, that people were saying if Jurgen was going to leave the football club, then then Pep would perhaps be the first choice to step in. Yeah, well, Pep's a very um, popular member of Jurgen Klopp's staff. He's uh, very well regarded by Jurgen Klopp. I mean, when uh, when Klopp renewed his contract in May, Pep Linders was one of the, the first people he mentioned in, in the statements on the club's website that he, he wanted to stay be cut partly because all of his staff wanted to stay, and that included Pep Linders, somebody who offers the sort of intensity uh, to training sessions that that not every coach is capable of doing. I think you know it's fair to say, obviously, Jurgen Klopp is getting older. I think he realizes that you know, as a football manager at a high level, you can't be totally across every single training session in terms of ensuring that the, the level of intensity is there and that, that way it keeps coming up obviously which is why he's he's uh, he's given the book the same title and yet and he feels that the peplin is a really important part of his staff somebody who who offers that sort of focus of training sessions as well as the variety 
I know uh, James Pierce is a uh, big part of Lind- Linda's advocate. When it comes to replacing Jurgen Klopp, I mean, I, I think there are a couple of questions that sort of he probably needs to answer, and I think it actually relates more to sort of the PR of the job and how he deals, not with the media, but with the messages that he sends out, which the fan base will digest. Because as we know, every single word of that is said by the pool manager has a huge amount of focus from the fans. And Peplinders, I think, sometimes speaks a little bit too much, you know, when he, when he tries to explain sort of his thinking ahead of, a say, a League Cup match. I know he did the press conferences last season for the League Cup, or even on the occasion when he's done the post-matches as well. There's so much detail in there. And I do sort of question whether whether it might be a bit too much, particularly after, you know, maybe a bad result. You can't always explain away bad results. And maybe this is a, a, a harsh comparison, but I, I, I sort of sometimes think of of Roy Hodgson. Not that he is certainly, he's definitely not compared to Roy Hodgson in terms of his experience and personality. But I, I always remember when one of Hodgson's biggest problems at Liverpool was he, he said too much when he needed to say less and said too little when he needed to say more. Some people will argue that his problem at Liverpool related to him simply being Roy Hodgson and that was one of the byproducts of his personality, which might be a fair argument. But I, I just think that that sort of thing has to be harnessed a little bit and, and, and the way he, he sort of presents himself, he, he might need to get a bit more experience on that front because I think particularly when, you, when you're losing as Liverpool manager, it, it's, it's a difficult place to be. Not everybody wants to hear sort of a tactical interpretation of what's just happened. Sometimes uh, you've got to choose your words a little bit more carefully. So I think back to that that game when he, he, he did, it was five years ago, five, six years ago in fairness, when Liverpool played Sunderland and Jurgen Klopp wasn't available and Pep Linders came into the press room and I was just like, wow, all this detail after, after a disappointing 2-2 draw. I did wonder in different circumstances whether people would be willing to accept that sort of, that sort of presentation. Yeah, maybe a small thing, but something to think about. And he's clearly got big ambitions as a coach, big ambitions as a manager. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how his career develops over the next over the next decade, really. Cracking book, Intensity. Uh, it's out now. Make sure you read James's piece on it as well. Um, I thought it was interesting that Pep and Vitor had a WhatsApp group called Diamond Dogs. I, I won't tell you what Simon called our uh, our athletic WhatsApp group. <laughs> Wasn't quite as cultured as Diamond Dogs, though. I'll give it that. Great. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, James, Si, that's the Red Agenda. And uh, just a shout once more, if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, you can read everything on the site. If you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod, special price now, a pound a month for six months. The Red Agenda will be back later this week. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>